Because Beauty and the Beast is just now in the theaters, the first portion of this review will be spoiler-free and will give you a warning before we talk specifics and spoilers, as if you don't know how Beauty and the Beast goes. (laughs) You're listening to Once, episode 283, Beauty and the Beast, review. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. And we are happy to bring to you a review of the new movie, Beauty and the Beast by Disney. This is the 2017 version, not the 1991 version. Mm -hmm. But before we get into talking about some of the specifics of the movie, because the specifics could be considered spoilers, we'll just talk generally here. Here's my thought on it. If you liked the 1991 Disney's Beauty and the Beast and you thought, boy, I wish the graphics were better and I wish there were only a couple more songs, then this movie is totally for you. (laughs) Did I sum that up properly? Uh, You summed up your thoughts properly, I'm quite sure. I would agree with that pretty, pretty specifically, yes. So what did you think in general, Erin? I really enjoyed it. I have... Very minimal critiques or complaints about it. I really enjoyed what they did with it. I thought that kind of everything was great. The acting, the singing, the sets, the costumes. Yeah, it was just amazing. I I agree. I, I'm some, probably somewhere in the middle in between the two. I enjoyed it, but I felt like the moments when it deviated from the original, I felt a little bit more engaged. I suppose. And but a lot of the time it was like you knew what was going to happen next if you ever saw or if you grew up with the I should say original animated. I don't know if the story had ever been made into a movie before that or not. Now that I think about it. I'm sure it had been because a tale as old as time has to be told <laughs> multiple times by multiple people. <laughs> but um there some of the moments that they did deviate from the original made me wish that maybe they'd done it a little bit more. Mm. But then th- there is one particular element that we'll get into later that it it was it was engaging, but it was almost it was almost too far mm. off the main path. See, I me. I approach this uh, with very few expectations. I find that right. I like doing that with movies in general is not to expect too much not to even know too much other than what's shown in the trailers right so i I didn't like that (laughs) i did not know that this would be a full musical basically beauty and the beast 2.0 i i figured they would probably reuse some of the music but i thought this is going to be kind of like disney's new cinderella where Mm -hmm. it's retelling it but kind of going back to the original to retell it, still Disney style. Right. But but it's a very different movie. Yeah. Um, so like you look at the original Disney animated Cinderella and compare it to the more recent Disney live action Cinderella. They're two very different movies, both very enjoyable. I think both great quality and, and both stand on their own. And uh, it's not like the new Cinderella was trying to be Cinderella 2.0. It didn't re- use songs 
uh, maybe a song here or there or a medley. But here with this, I kept expecting while watching the movie, because I didn't know it was Beauty and the Beast (laughs) 2.0. While watching it, I just kept thinking, okay, it's cute. They're doing it just like the original. To start with. Now let's get back to like doing it however you're going to do the rest of the movie. I think I had similar thoughts at the beginning until it started to become clear. No, they're going to follow pretty much the same beats. It To me, I would compare it to going to see a musical live that you've seen before or that you are somewhat familiar with sort of the original Broadway release with the original cast. Maybe you even have heard the soundtrack. Um, Wicked comes to mind. And then you go see a current production with a new cast and it's different. You've kind of got the original going through your mind and every difference almost subconsciously is judged as good or bad. So the whole time you're kind of comparing, but it's still enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that sentiment. I just saw a live production of Beauty and the Beast at the very end of 2016. Mm. Uh, It was a Christmas gift and It was very true to the Disney production. It used the same soundtrack, uh, but there were additional songs and there were some additional plot twists, some of which I feel like were in this movie. So it might be from a a script that, that I've not seen before, but I was at first not expecting it to follow the soundtrack and Beauty and the Beast 2.0 at all when I first saw the trailer. But then when I saw the second trailer that came out that actually showed Emma Watson singing, I was like, Emma Watson sings? What's <laughs> what's happening here? Hermione can sing? <laughs> and um, and that's well. when I – the only media that I watched at all leading up to this was a few Emma Watson interviews. One of them was a very long one with Entertainment Weekly that kind of picked apart a lot of the rumors that had been going around about the production. And that's when I kind of realized or I guess expected that it was going to be – Beauty and the Beast 2.0, but with with some twists and turns and backstories. Also along the thinking of movies being 2.0 versus a completely different telling of the same story, Matthew Paul pointed out that the Jungle Book remake included the song Bare Necessities, which I was surprised by when we watched that movie, uh, and also I Want to Be Like You. But besides that, the story was significantly changed, major plot points different. That's not the case. Here. In fact, Jeremy, when you said kind of just metaphorically that this movie was to the same beat, I would say almost literally <laughs> it's to the same beat because there were things that were literally to the same beat or the, the same exact musical cues. Now, speaking of music, uh, this music was written by Alan Menken, who also did the original music. Alan Menken is like Mr. Disney Musical. And I thought, what a cool opportunity for him. How many composers get to revisit their original music to update it, to add more to it, to expand it, even with a bigger budget, to to do it in higher fidelity. And that's what he got to do here with the soundtrack for this Beauty and the Beast. Now, did he actually come back and work on it more for this production? Yes, he is listed in the credits as music composed by Alan Menken. But all of it? Um, That's what I, I'm curious about is if they're crediting him because he wrote the originals. No, actually, his name is all through the mm-hmm. credits of all of it, even the new songs, at least some of them. Yeah, it's basically just the voices changed. 
I think that if they had changed the soundtrack too much, there would have been some disappointment. I feel like I would have been disappointed as soon as I started playing the first trailer and that score came on. It like it just lit up this like part of me from when I was little. Like I was, you know, very young when this movie came out. It was my favorite movie for years growing up and if they had changed too much of the music, if they were keeping the music in, I probably would have been disappointed. Right. Yeah, and speaking of favorite movie growing up, it was, uh, for me, the only movie I watched for a few months when my family had <laughs> moved and all of our other movies were in storage. But we were li living in this temporary housing and we just bought the movie, Beauty and the Beast, on VHS. So it was pretty much the only thing I could watch, and I watched it over and over so much that here I am, a little kid. Uh, well, not that little because this was the 90s, <laughs> but uh, this kid running around our apartment, what I would do is I would wear my shorts, no shirt, and I had a six-pack as a kid, so try and imagine that. Oh. And I would, I would tie a blanket around my neck like a cape, <laughs> and I would run back and forth in the apartment pretending to be the beast. <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> That's awesome. You didn't do that too? I mean, no. <laughs> I had a Beauty and the Beast, like Disney Beauty and the Beast birthday party when I turned six. There was uh, Beauty and the Beast was on my cake and we watched the movie. And that's really the only recollection I have of that party because it was a gazillion years ago. I'm not even that old, but <laughs> it was about in 1995. You're not a gazillion and, years um, old? No, but um, I have I have pictures. There was a lot of Beauty and the Beast stuff in my house growing up. So, Aaron, what did you think of uh, some of the details in this version of Beauty and the Beast? Are we getting into spoilers? No, not spoilers yet. Not Just spoilers. The, okay. the finer details of how they made the production. Okay, yes. I really loved the the graphics and the background. Um, they showed the Beast Castle so many times with so many beautiful sunrises and sunsets and just the the sky, I guess, was a highlight for me. Um, I love those things in real life. So the fact that they could translate them so beautifully into the movie and that they used that like iconic castle was definitely something I noticed over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely got to feel the size of the castle. And I think... Because it's all live action, still computer generated stuff, but it looks like live action. It makes it seem more magical because you're seeing these characters look so lifelike, but be so not human. Yeah. And did, did you guys also watch in 3D? Yes, yes, we did. So another thing is I I often go to 3D movies and I'm pretty disappointed. I'm like, oh, that one scene needed to be 3D <laughs> and the rest of the movie would have been fine. But... um. I think this was a very good blend for yeah. me. Like there were some very cool 3D moments right from the very beginning. Like one of the the very first scenes was was a great 3D moment and um I think it just allowed them to make some of the the details like um there's a scene I'll talk more specifically about when we get specific, but there was a costume scene that th there was a really cool 3D like a pretty mm, effect yeah. and mm -hmm. I I I did I do think that it's worth watching in 3D if uh, yeah. if you enjoy that. And at the same time, my favorite 3D is, well, my favorite kind of 3D production is one where I might forget later almost that I saw it in 3D. Mm. But at the time, 
I appreciated the depth. And I still haven't gotten past the stage where I will periodically close one eye or the other just to compare what does it look like <laughs> in 2D and what does it look like in 3D. <laughs> and I'm like, and every time I'm like, yep, I definitely like the depth. <laughs> Staircases <laughs> in the background and whatnot. So it's a, it's a fun movie. I think uh, Once Upon a Time fans would like it. Slight spoiler here. The first words in the movie are Once Upon a Time. So... Yo, what's not to love about that? Spoiler, Daniel, they're going to know. <laughs> it's the first part. It's like, hey, you see a Disney logo. <gasps> Spoiler, I didn't know Disney made it. And uh, I know there is some controversy surrounding this movie, so I am going to address that, but it requires addressing some specific stuff. So I'm going to address that after we get into some of the specifics, which might be considered spoiler things. And you might be surprised on my perspective on the controversy. So that's coming up in a moment. But before we move on, I want to thank our heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible because our heroes rewrite our songs for us. Our heroes give us a 2.0. Our heroes transform us from a beast to a beauty. Mm. And for this episode, I'd like to thank Lisa Slack and our new hero, John Gregory Kars. This is the gentleman who previously sent his first feedback after just recently discovering our podcast. Now he's one of our heroes. So thank you very much, Lisa and John Gregory, and our 23 heroes on Patreon. Now, if you want to be a hero to the podcast as well and save us from the clutches of some handsome moron, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and be our beast or be our bell or be our... Guest our horse, be our guest, yes, and be our hero. <laughs> Go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support. Now, talking about the music, as we make this transition into the specifics, I want you to hear the wonderful music, a little sample of the wonderful music by Alan Menken in Beauty and the Beast. There goes the baker with his tray, like always, the same old bread and Oh, wait, wrong one. <laughs> there goes the baker with his tray like always. The same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. Good morning, Belle. Good morning, Monsieur Jean. Have you lost something again? Well, I believe I have. So, yeah, same songs, different day. <laughs> And definitely different performances. Yes. And some of the performances... I sounded French there for a moment. Performances. <laughs> uh, totally n- nailed it. Uh, some of them gave new meaning to the lines. Like even that little line in the original movie, hello, how is your family? And the woman replies back, how is your wife? Mm-hmm. In the 1991 movie, it was just a friendly exchange. In this movie... It had more meaning to it. It's like, how's your wife? Remember, you're married. Stop hitting on me. <laughs> Things like that. So some more depth, more detail, the kind of stuff that you can capture a lot more in today's cinematography and with the technology and story writing skills and acting skills that we have today that you couldn't really capture back in the 90s with a cell shaded animated movie. So now we can talk specifics We're going to assume that either you have seen the movie, or you know how it ends, like who doesn't know how it ends, uh, or you don't mind being spoiled with specifics that we'll share. So it's completely open now 
Mm-hmm. Uh, all, no holds barred. We will spoil things. Uh, the Beast doesn't die at the end. Gaston does. I told you I'd spoil things. What if they were still turning it off because you were still in the process of a warning? Well, then they were too slow to hit the play pause button. Mm. Mm. That's rough. <laughs> I do want to take a moment here to address the controversy before we get much farther into this because some people may be listening just to hear what we think about this controversy. And uh, Jeremy and Aaron are welcome to provide their input, but uh, I'm not asking them to in case they don't want to say anything about this. In case you're unaware, let me just set the stage. There was some controversy because this movie was mentioned in an interview with the director that it would have an exclusively gay moment. And so that kind of sets the idea that this is going to be Disney's first movie that features an openly gay character. And there are all kinds of ways that people interpreted that and thought things and reacted to this, reacted hugely to this. I've seen some groups say that they're boycotting the movie, boycotting Disney again. Well, that's not a new thing. Uh, I've seen all kinds of things. Here's the thing, though. Yes, there is a moment in the movie where there it's a it's a gay moment in the movie uh it's at the very very end lefou gets to dance with another man and lefou has this look of happiness like he found his true love kind of on his face and there have been some little subtle things through the movie that you could read into in certain ways but apparently the actor Josh Gad, who plays LeFou, said he didn't know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's literally blink and you miss it because I did. Yeah. I was later. I was like, <laughs> what? I heard some people snicker. I was like, were two guys dancing? I don't know who it was. Like, like, okay, that happened. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, so my rant here is not that this was included because I'm not one to applaud including this because of my definitions of morality and such that I get from my belief in the Bible and as a Christian. Uh, But I do recognize that things like this will be included in movies as the producers want to make movies relatable to the common culture today. My rant instead (laughs) is against the rant that other people are making (laughs) about this because it was so insignificantly small that... Really, if you're going to get upset about something in this movie Mm -hmm. and get upset on moral grounds, there is so much more to get upset about. Violence, (laughs) hatred, uh, (laughs) weird relationships. I mean, all kinds of other things you could get upset about Mm -hmm. that are much bigger in this movie than this one tiny little thing in it that, yes, literally blink and you might miss it. Yeah. And anything else, who knows? It was it was gag stuff. And a lot of it was stuff that Disney probably would have put in movies for decades. Mm-hmm. And in another cultural environment, we would have just laughed, which is what most people did anyway. Mm-hmm. It was all done for laughs, whatever happened. I think the main reason it got so much attention is because the director had said in an interview that there was an exclusively gay moment. And that is my quoting him on how he described it. And so that set everyone up for certain expectations to think certain things. And if you watch the movie, knowing that LeFou is supposed to be gay, then you can kind of pick up on little things. But it's interesting that even Josh Gad didn't know he was supposed to play it in certain ways like that. I had read 
honestly, only two days maybe before we saw it did I even know there was any controversy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not plugged into that stuff. And I read – the only thing I read was actually a balanced perspective from someone who had seen it. And ev- so even going in with that perspective, I was kind of watching for it and I was like, I'm, I'm not taking the LeFou character that way at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking him as any different than in the animated version. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> He's a little obsessed with Gaston, but he always was. That's who he is. Right. I think he wants to be Gaston. You can take the character however you want, but that's all I got from it. Even watching I mean, for it's, something else. It's even smaller of an impression than the uh, the vague impression we got from the episode of Once Upon a Time, Quite a Common Fairy, when Mulan went to talk to Aurora. I mean, it's even less than that. I'd say so, yeah. I feel like sometimes people just like controversy, too. Like, there was huge controversy. Okay, maybe not huge, but there was controversy about Frozen, and there was a suggestion to boycott it when it came out because, like, the feminists were upset that some of the female characters in the original story had been rewritten to be males just to make the story work. And they were like, it's not a girl power movie anymore. And I'm like, can you think of a Disney movie that's more of a girl power movie? Right. So sometimes I just feel like there's these warring sides and they just like to poke at each other like siblings. Yeah. And and here's what I would say from a Christian to any of the other Christians listening to us right now. If you're going to get upset, <laughs> there are more important things. Because remember, according to the Bible, all sin is equal. So if you define homosexuality as sin then you have to also point out all of the other sin and all of the other things and preach against them and strive to avoid them equally, not to place a hierarchy on these things or say one is worse than the other. Uh, That's a personal uh, opinion kind of thing. So I want to get off my soapbox there. But uh, so if, if you've been worried that, oh, no, my kids are going to be exposed to this barrage of stuff. It's not a barrage. Mm. I mean, just tell them, hey, blink. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not quite, but it's, it's tiny. Now, by the way, I forgot to mention Josh Gad, who plays LeFou. Did you recognize his voice? Oh, well, I knew the name anyway. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, he's the voice of Olaf from Frozen. Olaf. Yes. I just wanted to hear him say, oh, look, I've been impaled at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Except talk about violence for that to be true. Or it's not nice to throw people. (laughs) It would be awesome if he started finding a way to say that in every movie. I have always dreamed of summer. (laughs) Yeah, even if he had said that when they got to the winter place. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. Some some reference to summer. That would have been awesome. (laughs) Is this the first time I I can't – it's been so long since I've seen the 1991 animated version. But is this the first time that the Beast Castle has been winter and everywhere else has been summer? I don't think so. I was feeling that way. But when I'm thinking about the movie, the animated movie, they did throw snowballs unless – Unless it progressed to winter during that movie, which I can't remember. Um, yeah, I remember that her dad got really sick right. from being cold, but I don't remember how that happened. It was definitely springish in the beginning of that movie, just like this one. 
And there was definitely snow involved at the castle, but... Yeah, for sure. I seem to remember there not being snow to start with at the castle. But it has been so long since I saw that one, which I think Daniel had commented that he wished he'd rewatched the animated one before we saw this one. But I I think maybe we enjoyed it more because we didn't. Because it would have been Mm. almost like watching the same movie twice in a row (laughs) in many, many moments. (laughs) That's true. I'd like that a detail like that, the snow, they did explain it a little bit more and make it obvious. So maybe in the 1991 version, it was the same way as this, but it just wasn't obvious to us, or at least from our memories. Yeah, there were actually a lot of elements in this. There were little things they tweaked that I felt fixed problems with the original. Hmm. Uh, One of them, just in the beginning scene, Bell, I've always felt like Bell was kind of a stuck-up brat. (laughs) The way she talks about the village is kind of like, well, you know, you could engage with your community and you could... You could not look down on them, and maybe you should also do something other than read in your life. So during this montage, they did the same song, and yet they managed to have her she, – she called people by name. She knew them. They knew her. They thought she was odd, but they, she was clearly more involved. And she at one point in this beginning was teaching a little girl to read, or she was trying to. They also pointed out that – most people in that time and place would have been illiterate, especially women. And so, and, and the attitudes about women learning to read. And they, they managed to work all that in very quickly. Mm-hmm. But she was also, she was not only doing the laundry, she was doing it in an inventive way, which is true to her character. Yeah. And shows that she does do some productive things. She doesn't just have her nose stuck in a book all day long, every day. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure, I'd have to listen to it again. I think they even um, took out the idea that she had read the book in one day, like that's all she does. <laughs> they did, yeah. They uh, they said, where did you go to this week? So she had had the book for a week, I guess. That's what the guy said when she walked into the library or the, was it the church that she got the book from? I think it was a library. Okay, because I thought it was the same guy as the guy who was dressed kind of like a minister. I think I know what you mean, but I didn't notice what it was he was wearing. I thought it was, I thought it was him. Okay, went the one that you, the one that helped her pick up the laundry when they knocked it over. Yeah, and yeah. then was wanting to help at the end as well. He had like a black thing with a white mm. collar on, so that's why I was wondering. Interesting. Yeah, and also uh, they kind of pointed out how Belle stood out and was ahead of her time. Her father said she was like her mother, who also was ahead of her time and was also courageous and fearless. Mm -hmm. And that's what Belle is like here in in this provincial life. And I've always, always, I've had in my mind like, well, well, why did they come to this poor provincial town? Like, why? (laughs) And maybe they made some mention of it in the movie that I've forgotten. But in this one, we get some very clear reasons. So it kind of fills out the character a little bit more. Yeah, and that being her mother was dying from the Black Plague and they had to flee. Right. uh, Run away. The father take the daughter away so they wouldn't catch it too. And that gave the story more depth, gave the character, their relationship more depth. Mm -hmm. Now for me, that actually getting to sort of the having the illness or the exact cause of her death be a mystery and then kind of figuring it out by finding the mask in the 
room in France, that was where I felt like it went just a little too far hmm. off the main thread of the movie because I get that he doesn't want to talk about it, but I don't know that it made sense for it to be a big mystery and a reveal. Yeah. I liked every other part of that where she didn't really fully understand. I liked the traveling there. I really liked when I realized later that, I mean, I liked the concept anyway when she was talking with the bookkeeper about traveling places via the books, but I didn't realize until later that first they set it up metaphorically and then they oh, did it and literally. And then they went all mist on it. Later. <laughs> and they went all mist. Yes. <laughs> How did I not think of that? That's awesome. Yes, they traveled by book and in a literal sense later. I thought that was a decently cool element. And of course, it keeps the continuity because like he said, yeah, but where would I go? <laughs> I can't just appear anywhere. I loved how they tied the rose in with that backstory too. There's so much symbolism of the rose in the movie and even her dad getting getting taken by the beast because he was trying to take a rose for Belle because she asked always for a rose. Oh yeah. And I just I loved that and and even the like they tied it in with the nursery rhyme ring around the rosy always made me think of this because they always say that that's about the plague and people would have to carry around their pockets filled with with flowers to like smell good and that's kind of what what she was doing even with the the rose in the backstory so i kind of liked how they meshed that all in and then the beast's symbol is a rose for like the transformation and yeah i loved that kind of easter egg tie-in and speaking of the iconic rose today when we're recording this is the day that beauty and the beast opens in the theaters we got to watch a little bit early but uh, if you tweet with the hashtag Beauty and the Beast today, Twitter and a couple of the Twitter apps are actually automatically adding a little rose to the end of it. So Aww. nice little cute thing that they did today. I was really excited that one of the first people that we saw uh, in the movie was Audra McDonald, who was the actress who played Madame Garderobe, um, <laughs> who I was a big fan of hers in private practice. And I know she's an amazing singer. And I had no idea she was going to be in this movie, and she was literally one of the first first people that we saw, and I think she did a fantastic job. Yeah, how about um, that whole prologue scene? That was <laughs> – that was – I was sort of disturbed by it. Yeah, it, it was weird, but I think told the um, the story better. Yeah. And uh, because you get the idea then – from that, that all of the village was involved and all of the village is suffering from this curse because they've been made to forget the castle. Yeah. They remember it later. Even loved ones who work there. Yeah. Which, yeah, and making them forget makes sense because on the timetable, if it happened so publicly or if he was someone so notable, they should have understood who the beast was mm -hmm. otherwise. So they fixed that. The party with only women in attendance was very creepy, though. <laughs> only only the most beautiful, as they said in it. And they all put ugly makeup on, but too, the song with fake freckles. made my skin crawl. The powdered wigs made my skin crawl. However, even as I started talking about this, I realized that there's a Doctor Who reason that all of that creeped me out even more. Yeah. Which I don't need to elaborate on because Doctor Who probably has a very different audience in many cases than fairy tales. <laughs> but it shouldn't. If you like fairy tales, they're like fairy tales in space. But I digress. <laughs> that, that's very true. 
the way that Gaston was portrayed in this, I think, was uh, <laughs> was more more entertaining. Like in a cartoon, there's only so much detail you can give in a cartoon. He's very two dimensional in more ways than one <laughs> in the cartoon. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, so to see a human with all of the subtle uh, facial expressions and movements and and eye things and that kind of stuff, to see a human doing all of that makes this so much more entertaining. Mm-hmm. And also to see how ridiculously stuck up Gaston is <laughs> and how full of himself he is was a lot more fun to watch here than in the animated version. And speaking of Gaston, he they used him to call out the irony of the fact that they're portraying people in France and almost nobody has a French accent. A couple of people in the castle have French accents, but that's it. Everybody else is British or just an American accent. And so in the beginning, I realized this later, re-listening to the soundtrack, Gaston is trying to... Think of something to say about Belle. And LeFou says, Je ne sais quoi? And Gaston goes, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I loved their banter back and forth. Like, um, like even one of the very first things when when Gaston was like, She's the only girl in the town that hasn't, you know, lost her mind to try and try and date me or whatever he said. And um he's like, She's got, she's got, and LeFou's like dignity. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so they set it up so well that like that illustrated her strength and independence and his and even her saying to him, I'm no princess. I loved the the depth that they were able to add to that those interactions between Belle and Gaston and, and Afu and Gaston. And you really do get the impression that this Gaston is such a creep, a stalker. And whereas in the Disney version, it's just like, here's a guy who's so focused that this is the girl he wants to marry, which <laughs> he's so I, clueless. I mean, there have been plenty of happy marriages that started that way. <laughs> and even my own happy marriage kind of had a moment like that where I was like, no, Jenny, I'm going to marry you. But not in a barge into the <laughs> but, house yeah. and demand it kind of way. Yeah. Nothing about uh, rubbing my feet while the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. <laughs> and we'll have six or seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. None of that was in this version. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a lot of the other lines yeah. were verbatim, but I think better played better timed better acted in this yeah we've we've said a lot about the two being very similar but there were a lot of moments especially as we think back through that were just really well done in a different way mm-hmm. for example when she goes to try and i guess rescue maurice the first time and trades his freedom for hers she almost she kind of tricks him into that i loved that yeah. whole and the way visually the way the cell was set up where it's bars on one side but kind of just it's open on the other side but it's just like a sheer drop off mm-hmm. showing the size of the castle and speaking of the size of the castle i liked the way they talked about the west wing yeah <laughs> which we do not have <laughs> and you can't go there because we do not have one <laughs> aaron tell me about your favorite scene in this uh I don't know if it was my favorite scene, but I loved the way that they added the like embellishments to Belle's yellow kind of I'm not a princess princess dress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which was like that was the 3D scene I talked about earlier where they kind of pulled these like glistening, pretty 
glitter bugs from the ceiling and then like magically infused them onto the dress. I'm definitely being the token girl on the podcast by talking about this. But but that dress, I mean, like I said, this was like my childhood Disney movie. And that dress is like the dress. That's like the, the iconic Disney princess dress from my generation. And, um, that was just I don't I don't know that I've ever thought about well how did the embellishments get on there so it's not even like they needed to do it it just was pretty and it kind of made me just go oh that's such a good idea like it was yeah. it was just a good happy moment in the movie theater it's almost like it's Disney's new iconic thing to put in their fairy tale movies because Cinderella and now Beauty and the Beast have both had a the dress moment where you see the dress magically transform into something even more beautiful. And they did that uniquely in Cinderella and even used LED uh, lights in the dress in order to make Mm -hmm. it glow and sparkle in the way that they wanted to in the Cinderella dress transformation sequence. And here, I don't know, maybe they used real gold. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But here (laughs) it is another really cool, but different kind of transformation and a signature thing. See, I haven't seen the other Cinderella yet, so that's maybe why this was even more magical for me. Yes, you do I know I'm such that, a bad though. oncer. Yeah, no, <laughs> or just person like you got to see that. No? <laughs> just kidding. I would never say that seriously. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the uh, the enchantress? twist to this it felt much more obvious to me what do you think so that one's slightly complicated because one of the things i think they did very well in this version is highlight the lives of the people in the castle and what pain it was causing them and the separations and what was at stake for them And actually not just remaining as they were, but turning literally into just these objects and not even living. So the beast was going to be a beast forever if he didn't find love. But they were just going to turn into household objects and die. And, you know, Chip almost shattered. So, like, like that whole scene was very interesting and kind of moving in an odd way, even though I knew what was going to (laughs) happen. Sad to see everyone's slowly freezing. Yeah. The reason I bring it up, though, is because although they they did that very well and they they wove instead of just being this random enchantress who happened upon the castle, (laughs) wrong place, wrong time for the prince. It kind of begs the question, as you're seeing her more, why would she do that to the entire household? And why, you know, even a child? Why would why would she do that? Just because he has no love in her heart. And they, they I think they even tried to fix that a little bit by throwing out a line about we watched what his father was doing to him and we did nothing. Hmm. And he turned him into this and we didn't do anything. Well, okay, I guess you could lay some blame on them, not that she would have any way of knowing that, that they explained in the story. But but I it, I think Chip's the the character that when you see it a little more make it a little more real and a little more up close. It's like, why is she all that good? Because why would she do that? I like that they brought the Enchantress through this story. Like she was part of the story at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. 
uh, through this Agatha character. And so the Enchantress was there to transform the beast back to the man that he used to be when Belle said, I love you, and she kissed him. Which you'd think, well, didn't the last rose petal fall? And he ran out of time. So Uh (laughs) at least in the original Disney one, the Enchantress doesn't come back. So it's just Belle kisses him or says, I love you. And then that's when he transformed. Well, then what was the purpose of the rose if he still had a chance after he was both A, dead, and B, the time was out. mostly dead. Yeah. Twoo of. I think, uh, yeah, I think when you're little, you just kind of go, wow, I guess that was just in the nick of time. Uh, but yeah, this made more sense. But but the thing with that, too, is it just said that he had to earn the love of another. It It wasn't explicitly said that they had to, you know, verbally and by through a kiss express this undying love. And I think that right. she already loved him. I, I don't think it took the battle for her to for her to love him. I think it, no. it maybe took the battle for her to realize that she loved him. But it wasn't just the threat of losing him that made her love him. There that love was already there. The thing my only maybe not a complaint even but about the Agatha spin where she was uh, one of the village people and she also rescued Maurice was that it's almost as if she facilitated the success of the story because if she hadn't rescued Maurice then the whole the rest of the story couldn't have played out that might even be good and Belle could never have been let go it's good that she did it it was a good thing to do but it's almost like she helped the story along it was her plot, right? So it was her scheme. So that actually helps a little bit with her character because if, because I'm questioning how she could do that to all those people, but if she wants him to succeed, then she's kind of helping unseal their fate in a sense. That's true. But then is it really fate? It's just kind of her playing God. Oh, does it have to be fate? I don't know. <laughs> hey, we're in a once upon a time season that's all about your fate. So, yes, it has to be fate. <laughs> that's awesome. Which once upon a time season is it all about your fate? We don't want this Beauty and the Beast story to have anything to do with the once upon a time version of Beauty and the Beast. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Bitter breakups, children missing. No, no, no. That's not Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Nothing against Once Upon a Time, but that is not a good rendition of Beauty and the Beast in the long run. (laughs) I think my biggest disappointment with this was that they didn't get any of the iconic voices from the original movie to play in this. Like Angela Lansbury to play as Mrs. Potts. That would have been great to get her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is still alive, (laughs) but maybe she doesn't sound the same. (laughs) No, and it kind of wasn't fair in a way to Emma Thompson playing Mrs. Potts to even all these years later, it's like Angela Lansbury's Mrs. Potts is a really tough act to follow in everybody's minds. And as a sort of further disservice, the visual for Mrs. Potts in this movie is so much less lifelike than in, well, you know, relatively speaking, (laughs) it falls a little (laughs) further into this might be a a Googleable moment that I won't fully explain here, but what they call the uncanny valley, where it's supposed to be alive, but it kind of creeps us out. If it's <laughs> trying too hard to look human and there's no life in its eyes, it naturally 
creeps us out. And you're talking about the animation of Mrs. Potts yes. as a teapot. Mm-hmm. Because the eyes were just kind of painted on, mm. and not super That's expressive. True. When it's a cartoon, we're fine. We don't get creeped out because we already instinctively know that it's not too lifelike or it's not supposed to be lifelike. So we're not looking for life in those eyes. And in the cartoon, the pot moved and bent and kind of like human-like and could stretch. It was a bit elastic. Right. Here, it's completely rigid Mm -hmm. and just bouncing, moving kind of thing. And that's part of, I think, what gives it that uncanny valley feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there were a few things working against feeling like the two performances were on par, but she did a fine job, mm-hmm. especially in within the context. I think one of the issues that movie makers run into when they're cast like recasting kind of a movie is um I'm just I remember an interview about the movie Rent when they were making the musical Rent into a movie and they said um you know they were auditioning and then one of the original actors auditioned and they were like, yeah, we really want him for this part. He like, who's better for this part than the original actor? And then another one auditioned. And so then they had two and mm-hmm. they said they realized that if they were going to have two original actors, they had to have all of the original actors yeah. or as many as possible because otherwise it would have been doing a disservice to to the original to have just one here and there. So I... It it was weird not to hear the voices, but I also didn't expect to hear any of them. So it right. was kind of met my expectation in that way. That's true. True. Yeah. If if you look at this movie as a standalone, those whom they did cast into the roles were good fits. Yes, definitely. And and honestly, if <laughs> this would almost have been good to say in the spoiler free section, but pay I want to watch it again and pay better attention at the beginning because I didn't realize until the end that I'd already seen all the people before they got turned yeah. into things. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't either. I didn't get it until I saw them at the end. I was like, oh, those are all the people that were working in the castle at the party. I thought they left with, I thought they were just all like the singer and the guy playing the harpsichord. Yeah. I was like, well, I guess they all, I didn't get it, <laughs> sadly. Oh, so that part I did get. I didn't get that half of the people, like I didn't, like comprehend that the village people were related to those people and had relationships with them until Mm -hmm. at the end when the spell was broken and they're all like, Oh honey, there you are. Like I've missed you even though I didn't know you were gone. (laughs) I did catch Mrs. Potts saying Mr. Potts when they were battling. But other than that. Yeah. (laughs) One other disappointment I had uh, now it's the climax of the movie and that is the transformation when she says, I love you, and then he starts being transformed, it was to the same beat of the original, to the same timing. And I, I felt like this is one of the most magical moments of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it would be neat to stretch it out longer, a bit more, like to see him go through the transformation even more slowly. Now, I know they showed the whole castle going through the transformation, so maybe that's where they wanted to focus their effort there. But um, that I, it's even my favorite part of the music in oh. the soundtrack, the non-singing uh, part of the soundtrack, is that moment when the beast is transformed back into the huh. man. I could have sworn that it was it was a little embellished or stretched out, or there was like a an expanded section or something. You it, might know better than I would if if that's your favorite part of the music. It felt like it was the same amount of time. 
<laughs> the exact same amount of time. The movie was really long, though. And it that was might really only be long. <laughs> that might only be coming from me because I did not start the movie until about ten fifteen at night, Ooh. and you know that's just how I had to make my day work. Um, but yeah, the movie was very long. I thought more? it was long. I didn't get out until twelve thirty something, but there were trailers. So yeah, maybe. with the trailers, two hours and nine minutes. Yeah, and oh, okay. uh, the original was an hour and twenty four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> So clearly it wasn't exactly beat for beat. <laughs> <laughs> they did give Celine Dion a song at the end. Yep. She sang one of the original Beauty and the Beasts Yeah, uh, for the 1991 version. So I and was I, glad to hear her. When they did the, you know, the normal or the main Beauty and the Beast song, I, at first I thought they had her do that too. And it was toward the end I realized... Actually, I think that's Ariana Grande, which it was her and John Legend hmm. singing it. And I, the funny thing is, I'm not like a huge fan, but I, I've i actually seen Ariana Grande do a dead-on Celine Dion yes. imitation. <laughs> oh, really? The thing I think was a nod back to the 1991. It was done pretty cool. And you might not think about it, uh, and I might be reading too much into this, but during the closing credits... You're seeing this mural. It's just kind of panning across a mural. The credits are going. And that reminded me of the 1991 version where during the iconic song that uh, then while Belle and the Beast are dancing in the ballroom, the camera goes up to the ceiling and starts panning across the different murals. And it made me wonder, is this supposed to be kind of the same thing, that you're you're hearkening back to the 1991 in this way? And the 1991 movie was uh, groundbreaking in many ways, because I think it may have been the first cartoon animated movie to combine uh, computer-generated animation. I remember that, now that you say it. That because, it was very notable before it was released. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, the 1991 animated one was nominated for an award or a couple awards or something. It's it's very noteworthy in either the awards that it was nominated for or how many of the awards. I don't remember exactly now, uh, but it was noteworthy in some way re- in regards to awards it was nominated for or won. So a fun movie, great for Once Upon a Time fans because it is a Disney fairy tale and it does have the happy ending, unlike the original Beauty and the Beast doesn't really have as happy of an ending. But then Book, again, you mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which of the fairy tales in their original forms do have a happy ending? Happily Ever After didn't really exist with the other fairy tales, but it does here in the Disneyified version. I kind of feel like... This Beauty and the Beast could replace the 1991 Beauty and the Beast because it's so similar, Mm -hmm. but it's like the extended edition and much better graphics and a couple more songs, which the additional songs, by the way, were were nicely done. Good songs that felt so much like they were a part of it that I had to ask Jeremy afterward, was that song in the original? Right. It fits so well. There were a couple of changed songs. Mm-hmm. Or a couple of additions. There was at least one, maybe even half a paragraph in the mob song when they're going to the castle. It was like one line each. Gaston was, well, actually, I have it. <laughs> he said, call it war, call it threat. You can bet they all will follow. For in times like this, they'll do just as I say. 
<laughs> and then LeFou follows with, there's a beast running wild, there's no question, but I fear the wrong monster's released. Yeah. So you even get a little bit of character development for LeFou. He's starting to realize, oh, maybe uh, I'm on the wrong side here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and seeing LeFou's switch as well to realize I'm fighting the wrong war, I'm going to join the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> So what did you think of the movie? We'd love to hear your feedback on the movie and our review of the movie. So please go to the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 283 to comment there and share this episode out. If anyone else has been interested or thinking about watching The Beauty and the Beast, you can tell them to listen to this episode. Or, you know, if someone is talking about the controversy and they're way over-exaggerating it, you could also tell them to listen to this episode. Maybe this will uh, give them some more balanced perspective on that. And the show notes and this episode where you can share it are at oncepodcast.com slash 283. Remember to join us for our upcoming initial reactions and the live chat during Once Upon a Time on Sunday night. And to let you know in a little advance notice, the following full discussion will be recorded on Tuesday, not on Wednesday. And that's only for that one week. Uh, so if you've been planning your life around our podcast, you'll need to shift your life around just a little bit for that week. But it's just for that week because I'll be traveling and uh, we all wanted to be part of the podcast together. So uh, we'll be recording on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. for our upcoming full discussion of the next episode of Once Upon a Time. And we hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at One's Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. So until next time, remember, there must be more than this provincial life. Okay. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. We could not do this without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And as everyone not raised by the Black Fairy knows, you don't have to kill anyone to become a hero.